recognize that ICP when it's out there in the broader market. And so then that's usually what companies do next is they'll say, okay, I'm going to take this one or more ICP definitions. And now I want to use that to very precisely focus my advertising or my outreach campaigns or my email campaigns. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at maga.io. What's up, Kevin? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Psyched to be here. I love to start off this podcast with your story. How did you get into marketing? All right. Well, let's start there then. Kevin Tate, I run uh, sales and marketing at at Clearbit today. What's funny is I um, actually didn't start out in marketing. I started in data, which is which is interesting because now I'm working at in intersection of data and marketing, but I was a um, I was a not very good database administrator way back in 1996, early days of the web. And what I found as I worked in early stage companies and markets where technology was kind of reshaping how businesses worked with other businesses, I was really drawn to the the market development aspect of it all, trying to figure out how do you tell stories and find the, the equation of, of sort of how do you create value and capture value with this new technology and this new market. And, uh, and very often that rhymed with something like uh, business development or market development or marketing. Yeah, through a, through a number of different industries and, and, and companies, I got to work around all sides of marketing and then I found myself in the CMO role. So it's been kind of a lifelong pursuit. Yeah, that's awesome. And you just got a new role at Clearbit, so congrats to that. But I want to go into the topic today, which is the smart stack. Could you describe what is like this new concept of a, a smart stack? Like, why is it called a smart stack? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I, I think the, the the concept of the Martech stack isn't isn't an entirely new one, but I think it is changing uh, quite a bit. Especially, you know, as things kind of come in in phases. And I think, whereas perhaps not too long ago there were a couple of big pieces in a company's Martech stack. You know, maybe they had a CRM plus a marketing automation platform. Maybe they had something that functioned as a data warehouse or a a CDP, a customer data platform. Now it feels like there are lots and lots of pieces, right? And that that the stack that that companies are moving toward have maybe as many as 10, even more moving pieces around sales engagement applications and customer engagement applications and personalization and multi-channel and and then all the things on the data side that that they're building out. And so what it creates is this, more of a, a landscape for MarTech where companies are embracing, I'm going to have lots of different customer touch points and probably more as time goes on. I'm going to have lots of different systems that enable my, my touch points with my customers and those systems uh, and touch points are going to go up as well. How do, I, how do I start to plan for that? How do I think about a foundation that I can uh, use to bring data and apps together to have that stack be as smart. And by smart, I mean as contextual and as relevant and as efficient as it can be in engaging customers. And that's fun. It's fun to be working in an industry where there's that that rapid evolution happening right now, that figuring out. 
You said earlier in your background, you like creating value for and how to portray that value to the market. So Clearbit just launched a data activation platform. How did you see this data activation platform? How did you see the data activation platform as a new way to approach the market as before more of an enrichment software? Mm, that's a that's a really good question. So maybe to provide a bit of context as to how we arrived at that, when in brief history of Clearbit, when we started in you know, 2016 or so, it's really about the data, right? How do we collect all the data about a business that would help a B2B go-to-market team know how to understand and, and cater to that business, right? So all the data points around, uh, you know, company size and what technologies they're using and all the things about the company and all the things we've come to expect in a a rich company profile. And then we paired that data with basically open APIs. Here's as as flexible an API framework as we can create for you to go and push and pull that data all over your stack and put it to work in different places. So that was kind of the setup. And then over the last especially two or three years, we've been, we've been very fortunate to work with some of the fastest growing companies in the world. You know, more than 1,500 companies who've pushed and pulled that data all over their stack and put it to work in very specific ways, right? Whether it's, it's, it's you know, personalization or it's lead scoring or it's making scheduling easier or shortening forms are so many, too many to describe, right? So we got this, we got this sort of front row seat to how really innovative companies were putting data to work to make their funnel more effective or make their customer actions more relevant or make their pipeline bigger. That gave us the opportunity to look at all those use cases and all those places data was being put to work and say, okay, how do we how do we make those a bit easier to do? Because the reality is that in, until we, we launched the data activation platform, you had to do quite a bit of stitching to do that, right? Here's the API key. We figure out how to push and pull the right data. We figure out how to keep it all in sync. And so, what we saw was an opportunity to create a unified interface that is a much more drag and drop way of connecting data to systems and basically formalizing and taking advantage of what all those companies taught us were the the ways that data could be put to work most effectively. And we ended up breaking those into kind of three sections around increasing customer acquisition, increasing your conversion effectiveness, and then improving the, uh, the efficiency of your overall go-to-market operations. So how would you compare, because there's a lot of data platforms out there or enrichment platforms out there. How would you compare this approach to, say, some of the competitors in the market? What, are, what is the audience this is intended for? which I know because we're talking about marketers, but <laughs> and what, why should marketers actually care about this? Yeah, sure. Well, so I come at it from a diff- couple of different angles. So first, in terms of how we're looking at the evolution of that stack, we think companies are going to benefit from a data foundation for their whole stack that then allows them to combine and refine data both their own data and data from companies like Clearbit and other sources, and then put that data to work in all those different applications in their stack. So that's a sort of foundation 
plus activation view of how we see that stack playing out. How's that different from how some other folks are approaching it? Well, you you can certainly work with companies that just provide the data side, and and there's some good data providers out there. But then it's it's up to to you to do the the combining and the refining and the stitching and the activating in a way that's that's consistent across your stack. And I think that's um, it can be a, it can be not only costly but it can be challenging to scale if you're having to stitch everything together from scratch. And so we we felt like it's not just about the data. It's about the data combined with activation in this in this flexible way. And then on the other side of the equation, there are a lot of providers who are very good at one particular aspect of the go-to-market. You know, companies that provide an, an all an ABM solution, right? Or a company that provides a solution specific to a particular, you know, go-to-market motion. Certainly, we think those are are a part of the a part of a stack, but rarely do we see something kind of one size fits all for a customer. And so, we tend to work with a lot of those solutions. But again, we work with them as a foundation that's providing data to and from, and working with all the other things in their stack. We think it's unlikely that a uh, a, co- a company of any size is going to have just one thing that they they run their go to market on. I think the way it's framed to that before, like data doesn't matter unless you do something with the data. Data could just sit in your CRM or your marketing automation platform. It doesn't really mean anything if you you just send it to a sales rep and be like, what are you, yeah. here's data, or it's in your marketing automation platform and I can make a maybe a smart list out of it and do some filters. but how are you actually taking this information, firmographic information, what you know about the person and using it as a marketer? Could you d- let the audience know some ways that even in, in ClearBid, you're using data to help different parts of the marketing functions? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Yeah, outside of some, you know, basic reporting, all the fun with data is what you can actually do with it and where you can put it to work. I think to your question, one of the most kind of useful areas of activation or organizing principles for putting data to work ends up being a company's ICP. So their their ideal customer profile ends up being this, uh, and all the different versions of their ICP, ends up being this center of gravity for putting data to work in these ways. So to, to kind of talk through the way we see that with a lot of our customers, they'll bring together the customers they know about in their CRM and, and maybe those in their pipeline. And they'll bring that together with all the data that a company like Clearbit can provide. So then they've got this full picture, right? They've got a full picture, not just about the companies that they know, but they've also got a full picture of the companies they don't know yet, right? Here's all the companies in your ICP from your entire, your entire target market including the ones not on your radar yet. So now that you have this sort of full market view, uh, what a lot of companies do is they will define one or more ideal customer profiles based on who really appears to be their best fit customers today, right? So, so back to the idea of like, you know, creating and capturing value, which are the ones that really seem to be getting the most value and are also most valuable to you as a business? And being able to define those that ICP 
not just in name, but based on some really tangible attributes, you know, where are they from? What kind of businesses are they? What size are they? What other technologies are they using? What types of buyers are engaged? You get all this information that helps you recognize that ICP when it's out there in the broader market. And so then that's usually what companies do next is they'll say, okay, I'm going to take this one or more ICP definitions. And now I want to use that to very precisely focus my advertising or my outreach campaigns or my email campaigns. And I want to also use that same information to tailor and personalize and remove obstacles in my website and customer touch points as much as possible. So taken together, what we see some companies do, and, and it's, it's really fun to watch these pieces fit together, they'll take that definition of the ICP and really operationalize it from top to bottom in that funnel. And for a company who's, who's connecting that from, from acquisition through their website and then down into operations and sales engagement, it ends up being like a red carpet for that ICP, right? Like a, like a custom playbook made just for them, you know, right this way, ICP, let's, uh, let's, in, let's get you right into, uh, uh, into being a customer. And so that's all the things that go into the definition and the activation and the operationalization of that ICP end up being where data is put to work. I think one of the points that I really like about what you just talked about is a lot of organizations are very sales centric instead of buyer centric. Uh, mm -hmm. And what this is very hinting of is how could the experience be the best for someone who comes to my website? How is the experience best for someone to have the experience that they're getting the research done for them? They don't have to go look around for what other logos fit that are customers of this company. It's basically this red carpet experience where you, what you said before, where you can shorten fields. It's easier. There's less friction. The story's told to them how they want to hear the story instead of the old way where you just send it to sale, a sales rep and can the sales rep get on the call or not? Let me get as much information as possible for the sales rep to be successful on the sales call, which is, I know, I know you see this a lot, but it's just very interesting that this is a, a platform like this or a, an approach like this is actually the best way to do it because it's buyer-centric and the way the world's moving is focusing on how can we be frictionless and have the buyer have this red carpet experience like you said before. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, you can pick any number of studies that talk about the the shift toward B2B buying toward online and accelerated by by COVID and all that, all of which are true. But also I think there's no way it goes back to being less buyer centric, right? To your point. And so I think removing friction and you know, getting out of the buyer's way and letting them letting them understand what they're what they're seeking to learn about the product is super important. On the flip side, there are still things that you can do, not so much to like, not trying to trick buyers, or you're not trying to like, you know, unduly influence their their education process, but you can find ways to signal to them that they're in the right place, 
right? That they're, that they're finding things that are meaningful to them. So like a really simple one is we have customers of Clearbit who sell to both businesses and individuals, and they sell very different things to businesses and individuals. And knowing which they're talking to on their website is incredibly valuable, right? So if they can use something like uh, uh, our, our website reveal technology to know, um, oh, here's, here's this visitor coming from this business, I'm going to show them our business plans. I'm going to show them examples of happy business customers. And I can even tell that they're a small business. So I'm going to be showing them examples and case studies that relate to small businesses in their industry versus this person is coming in as an individual. And I'm going to show them the family plan. That Those are really, really different conversations. And knowing a little bit can go a long way to helping a, a, a company show a customer what's more likely to resonate with what they're looking for. I think something like personalization, you know, which you know, certainly getting into, you can take that to a very complicated place, but sometimes it's the most simple, simple segmentation, you know, show the big companies, the big company logos and show the smaller companies, the smaller company logos that has the biggest impact in reinforcing for a buyer. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the right place. This is, this is where I'm going to find what I'm looking for. Do you understand how your technology stack comes together? Or have you spent hours on end trying to get a full picture of how your organization uses marketing tools? Well, consider checking out TechStack Builder at maga.io. In a few moments, it can take your corporate domain and detect all your tools and help you create a visual data flow in just minutes. Check it out today at maga.io, which is M-C-G-A-W.io. I also think one thing you were talking about, not looking at that from the buyer's perspective, looking at it as, let's say, operationally, is aligning revenue as one place instead of having these silos of, okay, marketing, your data is here, sales, your data is here. They don't really talk to each other. It sometimes goes into Salesforce, but they don't connect with each other. But this, the data activation platform is, or a platform like a data activation platform is something that starts at the top of the funnel and goes all the way down through the funnel. So the whole revenue or can have cohesive data, cohesive things that connect to each other. And also tools like Clearbit or some other tools that are open API allows you to easily connect to multiple different tools so you can feed these data like segment having a tool like a cdp where you can just take data and push it to multiple places at multiple times what i'm trying to get at is it's this is it's so important to have that sales and marketing relationship and that sales and marketing and rev ops relationship to be so aligned in this uh, because i've seen a lot of companies that i've talked to that they do these things in silos um, mm-hmm. where, where, and it becomes bad because sales, usually a lot of companies focus on one or the other and one side of the business gets screwed because <laughs> they, they're not getting data or they're not passing through data or they're not scoring for this company. Or, I mean, for this, for sales or they're not scoring for marketing. So having a cohesive strategy where it's all in one place and it's feeding to, multiple different teams is 
I feel like is crucial in the future. And then which brings me to you saying that you run sales and marketing now. How does that help see like the bigger picture of like messaging throughout the funnel, tech stack throughout the funnel, this whole big picture where you before it was just like a silo. I'm in marketing. I barely see what sales is doing. Yeah, it's it's a great point and a great question. I think yeah, to your point about the siloing and the challenges that creates, uh, you know, one of the things that we've really tried to do at Clearbit is make the data and also the the audiences that we allow people to build that represent their ICPs, make all those as portable as possible. Certainly there's no lack of vendors who try to create lock-in or try to create a, you know, a walled garden around a specific function. You know, back to your first question about the evolution of the, of the stack, I, did, I don't think teams are going to put up with that long-term. Um, we, it's funny, we, I was in a conversation with someone earlier today and someone said, is, when it comes to MarTech stacks, is, you know, quote, rip out and replace. Like, is that even a thing anymore? Is anyone thinking about that that way rather than evolve and add to the stack, the foundation they're building? So anyway, it's just really interesting to, to see how, how the pendulum swings around, around open versus closed systems. We certainly want to create as much portability around the data and things like ICP audiences as we can. Now, to your question about me personally, yeah, it's been really interesting to uh, to align sales and marketing a bit more more closely. I think it makes a ton of sense at Clearbit because of the, the type of company we are and the type of go-to-market motion we want to create. To your question specifically about the type of visibility that I'm trying to create and that I'm focused on, we segment our customers roughly by size, right? So I might have growth, growth size customers, right? And so what I want to create as a view is from the very start of that conversation in the market, right? When we try to start kind of the, the right conversation with the right companies that are a good match for us, what does that look like and how is that working? And then all the way through their experience online, their experience with our team, their experience through onboarding. And then as they become customers, how are they growing as customers and how are they realizing the value? And being able to see in one straight line how that's happening and instrument that that end-to-end thread is possible now, right? And as long as you've got systems that aren't uh, you know, holding data hostage or making it hard to get visibility across systems, you can see what that end-to-end journey looks like by buyer and by segment. And it's fascinating. It raises as many questions as it answers, perhaps, but it does show you where the levers are and how you can you can be thoughtful and 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 choiceful about what conversations you start and how you shepherd those, and then what kind of outcomes you help customers create. So I think it's an unprecedented level of visibility into the business, but it'll take us a little while to get to. I want to go back into a point because you've said this, this acronym and all I know you said kind of what it is, but ICP, ideal customer profile, how does one figure out who the ICP is? Like what goes into that? Who are you aligning with in the back end? Is it just a marketing decision or is it? a whole company decision to define ICP where, how does one company go about defining their ICP? Great question. And and it depends, but if I, to generalize a bit based on what we see and have learned from our customers, 
it's absolutely a whole company exercise. If you're just starting out, and it was really interesting, I had some great insight on this from the uh, founder and CEO of Sendoso. He and I were, were in an event together recently. He was talking about just this. He said when they were first starting out, you know, they kind of had to guess, right? Who, who do we think would be the best fit for what we do? How can we identify them and start conversations with them? But once you've got even a little bit of pattern recognition and, and customer momentum, then it really starts in the in the customer success organization, right? And understanding who's getting, who's really unlocking the most value here and who seems like the best fit in terms of how we are hoping to build our business and, and align our roadmap to customers. And so starting with a deep understanding of customers and then, and this is really where the, the contextual data comes in and then being able to understand how you can recognize them based on the, the types of companies they represent, the industries and the segments and the firmographics so that you can go recognize more of them in the wild. I mean, in some ways, it's, it's one big lookalike exercise, right? And so you say, okay, this is, my, this is my center. What are all the lookalikes for this? And let me go and, and over time get better and better at recognizing the signals and the and the hints and the context that tell me that this is likely to be a good customer. Now, an important part of that though is that there's a sort of discovery and definition part at the beginning. And then there's this refine, refine, refine as you get better and better at recognizing that particular ICP or, or ideal customer profile. But then there's this other part where you have to also say, okay, I got that one, but what else? Right, because as you start to go after different segments or different customer profiles, there's an expansion opportunity there, and so you don't you don't want to keep the blinders on. And again, Sendoso was talking about for them, you know, they started going after sales as the as the primary buyer of their of their service, but then they realized, oh, HR is also a really interesting segment for us. So there's a whole other ICP exercise to figure out okay, well, what types of companies and what types of HR organizations and for what reasons and with what needs? And, and so it, it kind of never stops, but having a set of ideal customer profiles that create that, that lens and alignment ends up being a really useful way of organizing, not just the go-to-market motion, but also the instrumentation and the evolution of how you measure your, your ability to cater to those customers. Going back to what we talked about earlier, I think goes back to this buyer-centric way of thinking because you don't want to have this random customer come to Clearbit buy and not be successful on your product. So there could be product limitations and stuff like that. But if you define your ICP, you know who is going to be successful on your product. There could be more people as you, you said, as you discover more and people going down your funnel. But it's a, the most buyer-centric you could be because you, you could tell customer, people who come in, actually, this, what you're looking for is not the right fit for your business at this time. And you could be very value-driven and not screw over your sales. Marketing doesn't screw over sales, where sales screws over CS. And it's this whole flywheel effect of we're just handing you crap down the funnel just to close it, yeah. even, though, even though they won't be successful on the product. It's a really important distinction. And you know, to just get really practical about it, before I came to Clearbit, I was still at a company where we talked about you know, 
MQL versus SQL? Is the marketing qualified lead? Is the sales qualified lead? And as you know, there's endless hours of debate to be had over what the Q means on the MQL side, what the Q means on the SQL side. And nobody's necessarily right. But when you introduce a shared concept of ICP and you're able to say, okay, you know, we know it'll evolve and we know it might not even be perfect, but we've all agreed that these are the factors that define our ideal customer profile up and down the chain. Now you're able to talk about ICP MQLs with and everybody knows exactly what that means, right? It's a marketing lead that matches that criteria. And you can pass them on to sales and say, this is it. And you know exactly what to expect when a lead comes in that way. And then you and then you can further qualify through through sales. But it gives you kind of a not even just a common language, like a common filter or lens through which to look at the conversations you're starting. I love that. And I think going back to aligning both teams and aligning all teams, you have a, a shared vision where sales won't get mad at marketing because we've re- you've already came up with a, a de- definition. Marketing won't be mad at sales that they're not closing or converting into opportunities because you have a shared definition. Instead of the old, a lot of what I see in a lot of companies is let's just pump a bunch of leads and sales, you go close them. And there's no shared definition. It's just like, here, I, I'm producing leads. It's working. Marketing's working. If you don't do that, marketing, and also I think on another point, it it gets focused where you don't waste money because a lot of people will spend money on audiences on all these advertising play platforms and spend money going after SDR resources and sales resources on things that they don't really know, mm-hmm. and then you've wasted time, money, energy on things that will never be customers. And I think that's what, why ICP is so so great because it's a time saver, it's a money saver, and then it also has an alignment mm-hmm. between all organizations. So they have a common, a common thing to look back on. And also what you said too, it's ever evolving. It's not something that's set in stone. As your product gets better, as your go-to-market strategy changes, as your company grows and you get more resources to be able to do things, you can expand that. But only if those things start piling on, you can expand that and have that. But it's not something that's just like, okay, forever we're going after these type of customers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you make a really good point about the role of focus and and different go-to-market approaches. Two that, that come to mind, and we see people apply that focus in different ways. One is PLG and product-led growth. If you're, if you're pursuing a PLG motion and having something like a set of ICPs really acts as a, as a filter almost, right? You might have tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people who are expressing interest in your product and experiencing your product, but trying to figure out which of those are a really good fit or ready to buy or ready to engage with you at the next level is kind of a signal to noise challenge. You, you can't really go engage one-to-one with, with tens of thousands at a time. So that focus acts as something of a filter. By contrast, you know, a lot of the companies we work with are pursuing more of an ABM motion, so account-based marketing motion. And there, the ICP definition, the focus is more on like prioritization, right? So, hey, if I'm a, if I'm a, a salesperson, 
uh, or I'm looking to start conversations with companies, I might be able to use intent signals and an ICP definition to give me the top five that I should really focus on this week because they are the most likely to be a good fit for what I have. And they seem to be interested and engaged. So it's interesting how the, the focus changes in its role based on, on how people are going to market. Yeah. And I think what you just said before, some people have all enterprise customers. And if they start focusing on SMB, it just ruins what they, they, their focus on what they had before. And then I feel like someone told me that a few years back is great strategy is just what you're saying no to more than what you're saying yes to. It's really mm-hmm. defining that, that motion of like, okay, we picking these three, four big things to go and tackle this year. The other things are on the back burner because a lot of people spread themselves thin. And it kind of goes back to that, the platform approach that you're talking to, which is funny is if you have one data place and you don't have someone to activate it is you're now spreading yourself thin of connecting it to this, connecting it to that, connecting to this. And you never get one great result because you're trying 20 different things. But if you have a focus on, okay, I am focusing on lead scoring now, and that's my main focus. And lead scoring is going to lead to the goal of prioritization and prioritization is going to lead to more quality and more sales. Then you have this like focus down, down the line, Mm -hmm. which is funny because I think that being even in marketing ops, it's a game of, we have a hundred tasks. What are the top 10 to tackle today? And what are the most important? Because I can do number a hundred today or I could do number one, two, or three, or four. And it's figuring out which one. And a lot of people get stuck doing 90 to 100 instead of one to 10. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny when we, back to your point about the the end-to-end opportunity, as we think about go-to-market operations and how how we look across that entire chain, one of the things I think about a lot is how can we use data to understand what is happening and then form a hypothesis about how we might, you know, overcome an obstacle or, or speed up a certain part and then be able to take action and see if it made a difference. And like, it, it sounds easy, you know, okay, let's form a hypothesis and take action and see if anything changed, but surprisingly difficult uh, when you're trying to look across a combination of, of, you know, humans and systems and processes. But ultimately, that's that's what drives the prioritization, right? That's what drives, to your point, the area of focus to be able to focus on one thing at a time and yet see the effect on the whole system. So I have an interesting question for you. How much of the decision-making process is data versus intuition? Hmm. When you're making decisions, like how much of it is I'm going with a gut feeling on this? And then how much of it is, okay, this is solely backed on data. I've, I've researched it. I've, I've come up with this. Because I know a lot of marketers that, yeah, data is very important, but some things are just, you, you've been in the industry for a while. You know that you have to make a decision now. You can't wait for that data to be presented in front of you. You can't take that time. So. Just wondering. It's a really good question. Yeah. Yeah. 
Certainly a mix. I, I guess what I want to say is that I think data ends up being the biggest factor in a couple of different modes. Uh, I don't know. I use an use an analogy of like I don't know, climbing a mountain or going on an adventure. So there's there's one mode of really relying on the data where you're just setting out. You're trying to figure out okay, which way do I want to go? Right, going into a new market. I'm gonna. Uh, develop a new segment. I'm going to be launching my new product, whatever. I need to figure out which way I'm going to go. So then you consult the map, if you will, right? And really look at the data. Okay. What can I tell about the landscape and this mountain I'm trying to get up and what direction I want to go and data, give me as much as you can give me about what direction to set off in. And it's pretty good at telling you what direction to start with. All right. Looks like North by Northwest. And we're kind of headed over there. All right, here we go. And then you kind of you put the data away, right? If you keep, you keep keep torturing the data every step of the way, okay, but what about now this step? Now, okay, just go walk that direction for a little while and then see what you learn. And then I also think the second mode would be as you're on that path, you know what direction you're mainly going now, but data helps you kind of stay on the path, stay on that road, right? Okay, ooh, oh, interesting. Yeah, I've got signals set up so I can tell if I'm kind of getting off the path or if I need to course correct and data is helping me make sure that I'm, I'm still headed in the direction I wanted to be. And if there's any big things that tell me, I, maybe I should pull that map out and look at it again. So I kind of think about data playing the biggest role in, in those two modes. And in between, I think it is a lot of intuition and a lot of like feeling what it's like to be on that market development path or what it's like to be operating with with customers and with with prospects in that way, and then using the data to to check your direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that analogy because I was watching this free climber on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that Netflix, but he's a free climber. And he would just go on mountains and nobody's done that before. So there's not really previous data on someone who's done that before. But the data points he would look at are more weather is, is yeah. the weather going to be going is the do i need to bring an act or not an act picks like is it going to snow is it not going to snow but other than that it's just climbing and figuring out what's going to happen and but then you can go back and look and be like oh actually that storm that said was three days is actually one day away i actually <laughs> should start actually head back down i head back up so it's just interesting like I just thought of your analogy of that, but I just watched a Netflix show of that. But it, sometimes you, that experienced climber where, and you've had previous people who've climbed so you can take their path and do it a little differently, a little faster because you're not reinventing the wheel, but sometimes you're the first to do that mountain and you have to rely on just signals of the environment and that's it. Yeah. So I love, I love that analogy. Last question that I have for you, I usually ask something different, but what do you think most companies are underutilizing with data today? Hmm. Hmm. Well, the thing that comes to mind is really the, the web experience. And part of the reason I say that is, you know, big shift toward B2B buying online and all that. It's all true. But what it's really done is it's put the website really, really front and center for, for B2B companies. And, and not that it wasn't before, but now 
the website and all the things around it. So I mean, I mean all that, all the landing pages and all the advertising that leads to those and all the all the sales and conversational selling and chatbots and all of it. It has to work together to do what we talked about, to pave that that or to roll out that red carpet for for your ideal customers. And I think what a lot of companies are underutilizing today is the data that they could be putting to work and making that whole web experience as efficient and as relevant as possible. And I mentioned earlier, you know, personalization gets very tricky very quickly and people sometimes jump kind of too far there. But even basic stuff around signaling to a prospect that they're that they're in the right place and that you have content that's relevant for them. And then just getting out of their way in terms of removing obstacles or helping them get as get to where they're going or express the interest that they're, they're showing as quickly as possible. So I think it's also a very exciting time for kind of all the things in the web experience to get smarter and to share, to share data and, and leverage data in a way that's consistent. So maybe another way to say that back to our earlier conversation would be if you if you take that ICP lens and you put it right up next to your website and say, be as smart and efficient as you can at helping these people learn and engage with us. Boy, that's a big opportunity. And all the data is there. All the data is there that companies need to do that. Uh, it's just it's just a matter of putting it to work. It's it's funny you said that because I just talked to this e-commerce person, his name is Nick Charma, and he, he was, we we're talking about landing pages together. And he basically said kind of what you're saying about landing pages is a landing page should be like an assistant to a celeb, an A-list celebrity on the red carpet. And what, what he meant by that is that you need to show up at the right time and the right moment to give that celebrity what they want as they're going through their whole journey because you understand what they want and what they need. And it's different for every type, different type of celebrity you go to, but you need to be there and show up if they need their makeup touch right now, like go do that. And that's how your, your website should be. It should be, okay, they're looking for this at this moment, show this. They're looking for this at this moment, show this. They're looking for this at this moment, show this. So. I just like that analogy. It's kind of what you're saying right now is if you understand who that A-list celebrity is, mm -hmm. you can start now having that, ex that experience where people, you show up at the right time at the right place. And then the rest of the time, you just let that A-list celebrity do their thing on the red carpet and get out of that way. But you show up when they actually need you, where it's that touched up or take their hand back when they're about to take a picture or stuff like that. So I think it's, it's funny. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Cool. Well, I want to leave you the last minute just to say anything that you want to talk about anything clear, bit related or personal related. This is the, the time of the podcast to do that. Yeah. I would just say, I think it's a really exciting time to be in MarTech. I mentioned earlier, I've spent my career in emerging industries and, and, and places where technology was, was reshaping the way businesses worked. And, you know, sometimes things move kind of slow and sometimes things move pretty fast. And we're at one of those times where 
things are moving pretty fast and they're accelerating. So I think um, for anyone who's you know interested in the space or are leaning into to, to data-driven marketing, it's a great time to jump in. And uh, the amount of innovation that's going on and the, the uh, advantages that companies are, are able to create for themselves is, is keeping it super fun. So I'm really glad to be here. I will add also, because I'll just give a plug to Clearbit, because the future of marketing, and I believe in why I joined Clearbit, is this approach of having a system where data is fed to all parties and you can activate it and you can get insights fast and you can do things quicker and faster. And I think a lot of people aren't doing what this modern stack is doing. And the way Clearbit is thinking is future of what, when I started in marketing ops, where it was just, you just thought about your Marketo and your CRM and that's it. You don't, you never thought about enrichment and this and that and CDP and where things are flowing. It was just really simple. And now with all that data and competition in the market and having to move very fast, it, it's a play. The data activation thinks about marketers in the way where you could pre- easily present data and make it easier for marketers to make decisions and do them faster than before because things are moving fast. And also you can have a lighter marketer team, which marketing team where we know marketers have limited resources. So you don't want your platform or your technology to be the one thing that is slowing you down the whole, every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you for joining. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being a clear bit. We're glad to have you. 